Well, I do not have the Super Bowl ring. I do not have a laptop with innumerable offensive plays to give me an edge over the competition. I am not Coach Brian Billick. Instead, this is Matt Money Smith filling in for Coach, but I am honored to uh, be part of the Coach's podcast sitting across from me. Talk about timing, as a matter of fact. This is the year, Coach, of the smart kids. Northwestern gets a victory in the bowl. Vandy, Stanford. I mean, with the exception of the Duke meltdown, we would have had an all-smart guy bowl sweep this year. We almost had it, you know, and uh, and, uh, I think that – of course, Stanford, uh, wow. They show you that uh, smart guys are also tough guys. That's right. Something you know a lot about. Having coached at Northwestern, who got the victory under the fighting Fitzgeralds, and Stanford under head coach David Shaw. Uh, you know what? Why not just start there? Because Chip Kelly is a big story. Flirt- flirtation with the Browns, with the Eagles, the Bills to some degree. Ops to go back to the college game. If he if he called you and, and asked for for your suggestion your recommendation what what would you what kind of advice would you give Coach Chip Kelly? Well, you know, I think one thing that's been proven it's very difficult uh, to make the transition from colleagues to pros if you have not at least been an assistant coach in the NFL. I mean, there've been a lot of guys that have done it, a lot of guys that have done well. There've been some other guys who have tried to do it and haven't done well, and it normally comes from them just not having any exposure to the National Football League and see how things go. I mean, what what Oregon has is a very explosive offense that loves to throw uh, the football. They get uh, some of the best recruiting going, so everybody can run their fastest to win. Uh, Kelly's been in the offense a long time. He has a great understanding of it, and it works. But there are a lot of teams, you know, in college football that are throwing the ball now. It's, it's not just that. It's that he's an outstanding football coach that has a current understanding what he wants to do at Oregon. And I think there's always that temptation, you know, to move to the pros. But uh, but evidently, uh, and it, I think it is his choice, too, because he's been hot as a tamale. Uh, he's made up his mind that he's going to uh, stay at Oregon. And what about the system? You know, and, and just speaking to that, this is Monday when we're recording this podcast. You know, yesterday we saw Russell Wilson run the read option. We see the Redskins all season long in the pistol. What right. about his system and trying to apply that to the NFL? Well, I think that it, it's always when it's new, uh, it's always fresh. It has fresh ideas. Uh, defenses normally catch up. And when defenses catch up, then uh, you have to have balance. I mean, you can't just, just throw the football uh, and spread it out. A lot of teams spread out. I mean, New England, New England has that has parts of of the wide open offense, and some of the other teams do. So, I mean, I think any system will work if, as long as it's fundamentally sound. But I don't think any system has a magic pill. I've seen a lot of guys go down on the quote West Coast offense. I've seen other guys ride the West Coast offense to Super Bowl championships. So it's never just a system. It has to be implementation, and it has to be able to apply to the players that you can get to execute that system. When I covered the Lakers, Phil Jackson would always talk about the triangle. Look, we're running the triangle 30% of the time. <laughs> Quit focusing on this. How, what percentage of the time are they running the spread and, and the pistol for, for Washington and oh, Seattle? Well, Washington Seattle, not that much. Uh, you know, I think that they have the ability for – you know, to run the option to stick it and pull it and go around the corner. But now their quarterback is hurt. And so, of course, they didn't run it as much. And then it was an element. You know, I mean, everybody's running the shotgun a lot more now in college. So the, the younger guys are running. They come in running it. Uh, they use it in uh, youth camps, uh, passing leagues in 10th, 11th grade. You know, so, I mean, it's it's a, it's changing to a into a different game. Uh, but at the same sense, 
you know, it still keeps coming down to you have to have the fundamentals. Now, uh, the game itself, you can change the rules, and that's happened a great deal. I mean, you know, it's very difficult, uh, you know, for a fan to watch the game and see, you know, some of the catches that are being made um, and recognize that, well, Ronnie Lott, I guess, couldn't play in this era because he wouldn't let you catch a ball in there like that. Right. The whole idea was that a true safety did not allow anybody to come into his territory, and that just meant uh, it made it easier on the outside guys because they'd always say, hey, look, you don't have to worry about this from hash to hash. Nobody's coming in here, okay? Right. So all you guys got to worry about is playing to the outside and enable you to play more man coverage. Anybody comes in the middle, then they're going to get hit pretty hard. Well, the game has changed. That's not the game anymore. Just last thing on the, the college and the pros and Nick Saban and Brian Kelly don't know if they're going to get a sniff or not. But Doug Marone gets hired from Syracuse, and he spent time in the NFL. Um, Bill O'Brien, of course, flirtation with him from the Browns at Penn State. Given your because you've done both at a very high level, given the option of having your ideal situation in the NFL, you, you like ownership, you have the control you need, or the ideal situation in college, you know, great AD, great relationship. Right. Which do you prefer? Oh, I, I, you know what, I like them both. It's just it's hard to compete with, the, you know, the money in the NFL is more. I mean, in the NFL. You know, a guy will make a, you know, whether he's making a five or six or seven million dollars in college football, this guy is going to make two or three or right. four million dollars. Uh, the the game is a great game. I mean, whether it's high school, college, or pros, it's still a great game because you're around young people, you're around competition, you're you're face to face to see how you do against a guy who's going to see how he does, and so I don't think it really matters that much. It it does again make a difference if you're uh, if you have to prove that you can be at the top level a lot of the guys have tried it and hasn't worked out uh and and then they say they want to try it again they think maybe because of circumstances it didn't work out so there's always that temptation to try to say put me on the biggest stage and i want to prove myself well let's get to the games um and we'll start with uh, one of those college coaches pete carroll did his business at usc moves to seattle some wondered whether or not the rah-rah approach would work and if his players would listen to him they have done a complete turnover of that roster i think 236 moves since right. he took over uh what do they have now in seattle just looking at him well I, I think a really physical team pete knows exactly what he wants i remember pete was a head coach in new england he's a head mm-hmm. coach of the jets uh he was a head coach at usc uh, this team kind of looks like the, you know, the, if you want to say the college version of what SC looked like when Pete really had it rolling, which is very, very physical on defense. He wants his player to be more physical than your player. He wants his backer to be more physical than your fullback. He wants your safety, his safety to be better than your running back. He wants your lineman. I mean, match up. And overpower your guy, match up and beat your guy, and be real physical when you're doing it. And that's what they have right now. And that's what's going to be a threat to Atlanta when they play there, simply because they are very, very physical. And then the ability to run the ball, you know, that uh, that Lynch can carry it and carry it a lot. And then a very dependable gamer, you know, a gamer type of a quarterback. He wants a guy, a quarterback, who is, you know, sort of the gym rat version uh, of a of a basketball player playing football that can play all day, uh, that's proven, you know, uh, that uh, Matt Bartley leaves high school and he's starting, you know, when he could still be in high school almost or 
or, you know, uh, Russell Wilson, you know, goes to another school just to play football for one year, comes in, he's here on the camps for two months, and he's captain. You know, those type of players are what really appeal to to uh, to Pete. And I think they appeal to everybody, but you have to have that determination to get that player. And have I you, think that was the strength. Have you ever seen a more physical secondary when you look at Browner, Sherman, Thomas, and Chancellor? No. I think – I mean, Brown has been around a long time. There have yeah. been a lot of people that were convinced he couldn't play corner. He's been trying – they've been trying to move him to safety forever. And, I mean, you know, he's had an up-and-down career, but now he's in the right spot for him. Sherman was always that kind of a player. And so those are big corners. Those are throwback-type corners. And and he wants that for a reason. He wants them to be, you know, more of a dominant presence against receivers. When you look at his past draft and, and some players from this past draft, obviously Russell Wilson, uh, Bruce Irvin, Bobby Wagner, who's probably going to be a rookie defensive player of the year, Bob Turb, Robert Turbin out of Utah State. How much does, when you're taking a first-year player, how much does the school play into it? Because there was so much made about he's taking two Utah State guys in the first right. three rounds, yet what, what do you see and how do you forget about that level of competition when you're taking these guys? Hey, I don't think you worry about the, the level of competition. A guy should only be expected to play the best he can play against the guys he's playing against. I don't think you ever hold it against a guy. And they develop at different stages of their career, different times. Their growth kicks in. I mean, you want guys that can really run, defenders that can stay on their feet, uh, defenders that can chase quarterbacks down or chase runners down. And uh, and so that becomes kind of the – and then guys that will really hit, you know. I mean, uh, and I know that hitting is not as emphasized as much in the game now except when you get hit, <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> all of a sudden, uh, one team starts dominating another team because uh, even with all the rules where they are, it becomes clear that that other team is more physical, and that's the kind of team he has. Now, I, I say this. I remember the draft last year, and, you know, you see the draft from and. And Pete would take a guy that some people thought should have been a fifth-round pick, and Pete take him in the third round. And, and it looked like other guys on that staff were eyeballing each other, you know. And it looked, I said, you know, I commented, I said, it only looks like one happy guy in that room. They showed him taking. I said, yeah. Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll wanted the guys that he wanted, and he didn't care what other people thought. He didn't care where the scouts had him ranked, and he didn't care what the, you know, all the experts had him. This guy's really a fourth-round pick. It uh, doesn't matter. This guy is going to be playing for Seattle, and he's going to be playing for a guy who knows exactly what he's going to do with that player, and that's the way the draft was last year. How surprised were you that Russell Wilson was named the starter at the start of the season? I, I, was, I was surprised because I thought that, Matt Flynn would automatically be the starter. Uh, I was not surprised uh, that uh, Russell would go in and compete for it because his story is incredible. I mean, he he's you know he's can do this and he can do that and he plays great on a you know very average North Carolina State team and then he's got the baseball and then he says, but you know what? I, I'm I still I can play another year of football. I'm gonna go play somewhere, you know. And it's like okay. And as I mentioned, he shows up. You know, at uh, at Wisconsin, and he's captain already. Hell, he just got there, and and then he comes in and competes. And his competition nature, not being satisfied. We know Matt Flynn's here, and we know that this is where it's supposed to be. But I'm not going to be satisfied unless I'm playing my best. So I was surprised that he could pull that off, even though there's been nothing that really convinced us that Matt Flynn should have been a starter, except that he backed up did a pretty good job and got a chance to, you know, get the big money. Yeah. But clearly, 
I mean, there was no hesitation on Pete's part that Russell Wilson is a better player. What what is the relationship like with a, a general manager, the guy that signs that three year twenty four million dollar deal, and the guy never takes a snap? <laughs> and the right when you're the head coach and you're saying, "Hey, this is the guy I want to go with," is that a pretty nasty conversation? Not really, because you know what what Pete will and guys like that will always try to coaches strong coaches will always try to say, "Look, let's don't worry about the money." I mean, there's there's the play, and then there's the pay. Let's focus on the play part, and so. Um, you know, this is the off season, and we're going to get some free agents, and we're not going to hold it against each other if we get one that's a mistake, if we get one that can't. Now, I'm not saying Flynn can't play, but if we get one. But then at the same sense, let's don't hold it against another guy if a guy comes in, he's better than him. Let's just don't say we got to play him because we're playing him. Now, teams that don't win, they do that. I would right. say teams that don't win, they're always looking, you know, what, what they like to say is we got to get our money's worth. Well, you no, know, what you have to do is win football games. Don't worry about your money's worth. You know, the fans will appreciate what you do on the field if you win football games. Ken, you know, we're obviously talking a lot about the Seahawks. They're the one team with the rookie quarterback that wins this weekend. They face off with RG3. Andrew Luck goes down in Baltimore. On those three rookies, Coach, um, does one stand out ahead of the other? Do we celebrate all three? Uh, Of those three circumstances, which one impressed you the most? Well, I think we celebrate all three. The one who is the underdog, I mean, there's one underdog, okay? That's Russell Wilson. He's, He's the guy that he didn't spend three years at Stanford or, you know, or three years at Baylor. He spent one year at Wisconsin. He's not six four, six five like Andrew Luck, six three like like RG three. He's five eleven. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yep. I mean, uh, he wasn't the first round pick. He wasn't the big bonus baby. So I like I like all three of them a great deal. But I think that only one is really kind of the underdog. Now, I think uh, Andrew had the most pressure on him because he took over the worst team. I mean, he took over a team that won two games last year, and everyone knew he was going to be the starter, and he had to come out right away and try to get them out of this idea that uh, that we can, you know, that we have to automatically take our time getting better. And then I think it didn't help, obviously, when the coach, you know, when, when uh, Chuck got sick, and then, the, you know, Bruce Arians came in to be the, quote, quarterback coach and coordinator, but wound up now having to buy time being the head coach. So there were a lot of things that were different, but uh, Andrew Luck really showed his maturity. I mean, I think he comes in and he remind everybody, you know, would remind everybody of Peyton Manning, the maturity, the delivery, the way he throws the ball, the competitiveness. Uh, I mean, you just always felt like you, if you need to throw it 50 times on Andrew Luck, you're fine. He's That's not going to be a problem. And he's going to find guys to throw the ball to. And then I think, and then RG3, you know, is just the, the, the classic athlete. I mean, of this new era of, of guys, whether it be Cam Newton or, you know, or, um, you know, guys like that that are, you know, lean and mean and can run and put the dagger in you right away and put it on you running the ball, which we saw him doing a couple long runs. He can do it on you with a dart-like pass. Uh, he can do it on you, you know, in leading the team. And so I think all three of them, you know, really brought their assets to their teams. The one that advances is Russell Wilson. How much of a rookie quarterback, when you go into a season, do you balance, I want to hold back, I need to let him cut loose, I've got to play to his skill? Because it seemed like about week eight or nine, they finally – 
took the the reins off of Russell Wilson and let him be Russell Wilson. Well, I think that's when the team took off too. So it, yeah. it was it was you know kind of in sync. They worked together as far as you know. You got to make sure Lynch gets his touches because he's he's you know every game he's going to have a run where five or six guys try to knock him down and knock on there to do it. So you got to make sure that you're doing everything you can to get that ball to him and and feed him the ball. At the same sense, you know, uh, and, you, and you're also trying to make sure you understand. What are going to be the best things for Russell? He still has, you know, still throws the ball a little bit too hard, in my opinion. I mean, he makes some of those catches a little bit too difficult. Uh, he can take off, take it off a little bit, but I think he feels he's got to get it there always. And so some of his deep balls doesn't have enough loft. Guys can't get underneath it. Some of his balls along the sideline. So, I mean, he doesn't throw as, as smooth a ball as as Andrew Luck. And as a result of that, you can't afford to get in these percentage passes where you're throwing 16 in the first half and you only complete six or seven. You don't want to be in that. But uh, I think at the as the team went on, though, as the season went on, then the team was able to respond to him. I think they became in sync. Their running attack became in sync with their with their uh, defensive productivity, and then their passing attack came around uh, came around last. I know uh, on the other sideline with Washington, what a tough situation for Mike Shanahan to be in. RG3 comes out and lights up the Seahawks for 14 points, and of course all as well, but you saw that play. I mean, the, the pass that he threw to Pierre Garçon, you could just see something happened with that leg. How hard is it to navigate that situation when your quarterback is telling you, I'm fine, coach, but but maybe your eyes tell you something else? Well, I think you got to rely on your eyes, and you got to rely on the doctor, and then other people too. I mean, you can't expect Mike Shanahan to have all the answers all the time. The, the worst person to get your information from is the player in, in many ways <laughs> because they always want to play. They always think they can play. Uh, but, it, you know, and, and I'm sure what, what happens with Mike is, well, what happened? You know, because he practiced, you know, last couple of weeks he was fine. I mean, why why is he limping? Well, he got hit. Okay, well, how bad was it? And then you find out how bad was that hit and so forth. And then you, you look and you, and you see that, hey, he's not the same. He isn't the same. And when he's not the same, that means his balance is going to be screwed up. When his balance is screwed up, that means he's trying to throw the ball, trying to guide the ball with his arms. When he starts trying to guide the ball with his arms, he's going to overthrow guys. He's, the ball's going to sail. So all of a sudden, you don't have that passing attack that you wanted to have. And then you have to make up your mind, is it going to get better? And if it isn't going to get better, then you have to you have to make a change. And I think that's extremely difficult but also a decision that you can't make by yourself. That's why you have a quarterback coach who watches a quarterback every single play. That's why you have an offensive coordinator who watches the system and everything take place in the head coach. So there's a communication that takes place that says, you know, it has to say at one point, if you're going to pull him, that, hey, I think uh, I don't think he's the same player, not since that play. You know, and they didn't have that play last week. They didn't have that play the week before. You know what I mean? Where he was coming off with the sprained knee, and they said, hey, he's going to be fine. He can play. He did. He didn't have that kind of play last week. He didn't have right. that kind of play against Dallas. Yesterday, he had that kind of play. And when that happened, you know, you're always fortunate with, a, with any type of an injury if a player can come back. I mean, you, you know, they, you go on MRI. How is it? He's okay. It was a sprain. Okay, how long is he out? I thought two weeks. They said one week I was more right than they were. And so now he's ready to play. But now every team he can play, you're lucky because it, all it takes is the wrong kind of hit. 
and that sprain knee's going to flare up again, and unfortunately, that's what happened. When you were watching it, what did you think when you saw that play? Did you think they would end up pulling him right after you saw him down on that ground? You know what? I, I didn't know if they would pull him right, didn't I? It, I? Because even before, you know, he has shown that he will go back out there and try to play even when he's hurt. So I thought it would be almost like that again. Like, you yeah. know, like, I'm going to go out, and then it's going to be clear that it's worse, you know, because of the play that happened. And, uh, you know, and, and and maybe it did calm down, maybe it did feel better, but the reality was is that he wasn't as good a player. When you look at how that game, just the, the, the plot line of that game, they go up 14 nothing. We know Seattle has struggled on the road. Russell Wilson's been much better at home. Of course, he gets the big overtime victory in Chicago. You know, we talk about he's 5'11", 5'10", and three quarters. You know, you mentioned he's got the cannon arm. He's got all the intangibles. How much of those intangibles came into play? Down 14 nothing, hostile atmosphere, you know, and, and everything that was stacked against that Seattle team in that right. game. How much of that was Russell Wilson and all those intangible it factor things we heard about well, him? Well, I, I mean, I think it was, it was clear. I mean, even the fumble down in the goal. I mean, you yep. down here, you're on the one-yard line, you fumble it, you know, and it's like, okay, well, they're done. Not not really. I think that his hustle on the field, he was able to use his speed and go up and, and try to throw blocks for Lynch and stuff. I mean, I think – just part of his kind of leadership that this is uh something i can really do his poise and i remember when seeing him in college his poise uh taking over that wisconsin team which is expected to win it all they did but they didn't have a they weren't like 11 and 0 i think they might have been they lost one game yeah they they just lost i think that one game to uh michigan state the hail mary from kirk cousins as a matter of fact you know and uh you know he just he's just a phenomenal player and so i think that he was able to go out, and and even though he was a little off, like I said, on some of his throws, he was still able to really go out and and, uh, and compete. Yeah, when you, you look, speaking of Kirk Cousins, um, has the one big game against Cleveland, a 400-yard passing game. Uh, a lot of people impressed with him before the draft. He ends up going in the fourth round. Do you think they keep him, or do you think there's a quarterback? I mean, there's a teams that need quarterbacks. Can you see a team maybe offering up a, a high-round pick to get him into their organization? Uh, not as high as they'd have to go. They need to keep him because they don't, you know, you don't know which, and I haven't heard whatever the case is going to be with RG3. Yep. with RG three. Uh, But you need two quarterbacks, and you don't need to be in a hurry to get rid of one of them. Now, you know, he's, you know, he signs a four-year deal. The second year, if everything is right and you think you can get another good number two guy, then you can maybe force somebody because each year his value will go up. He was a fourth-round pick. Nobody's going to give you a second. They're not going right. to give you a second this year. Maybe uh, a third. Or maybe a third this year. Now you wait one more year and he plays a little bit more, gets a few action in there. Now you can get him up to that second-round uh, second pick the next year because he still has two years going on his original contract. And how dare I question the great Dennis Green. Three losses for Wisconsin on the 2011 season, those back-to-backs. I, I wasn't State, sure. Ohio State. I, no, I, you knew, I, and you were being no, polite to the host. No, I didn't know. <laughs> you were dead on. <laughs> Three losses, <laughs> including that loss to Oregon in the Rose Bowl. Um, one last thing on that wild card game before we flip it forward to Seattle and Atlanta. Marshawn Lynch runs, I think, a four-five-two, a four-four-nine, and like a four-four-eight in his combine. <laughs> Alfred Morris runs a four-six-seven. They're they're two of the most productive backs in the NFL. Right. Six weeks from now, we're going to be talking about forty times and running right. backs at the right. combine. How much attention did you pay to forty times? You know uh, what? You shouldn't pay a lot of attention to it. I can remember John Taylor 
way back, and I'll, I'll go ahead and age myself, way back in 1986. And, you know, he averaged 25 a catch at Delaware State as a walk-on. And, and we're saying, you know, I really like this guy. What do you like about him? Well, I mean, he can really jump. Yeah, but he can't run. And I think he ran like a 4.7, uh, 4.75 or something. And uh, he was faster than that, but that's what he ran. And I think there are always going to be these players that, that it's really not about the speed. Um, it's it's about uh, the way they carry themselves, how they can handle their body, jumping ability. John Taylor had incredible jumping ability. Uh, he had great hands. And so I, I think it's uh, the speed factor is, is, is overrated. Uh, how productive is that guy? You know, uh, I think that probably becomes a key factor. As we move forward, Seattle at Atlanta. Atlanta has got to win a playoff game to quiet the critics. That's why they've been with them all season long. How does this matchup bode for the Falcons? Well, uh, you know what? I, there have been a few times I thought that Atlanta would not win at home. And as Brian Billick reminded me, and of course he knows a lot about the program with Mike <laughs> Smith and so on. And they're, Matt Ryan is this way at home. And, and he was. I mean, they are incredible at home. And so I think I think it's going to be very difficult uh, to beat them at home. Now, having said that, um, the receiving big play capabilities that Atlanta has is an advantage over the great big corners that Seattle has. So in other words, when Julio, you know, I mean, he can really go out and he can just make things happen, um, you know, that when Atlanta got better, I thought they were running the ball a little bit better. Uh, people kept saying, hey, you know, don't rely so much on Ryan, the passing attack, get the ball to turn and run the ball. They got better at that. So, I mean, I, I think that there are a lot of things working that way, except I would say this. You know, when the Giants got on the road yeah. uh, as a wild card, when Green Bay got Packers on the road <laughs> as a wild card, uh I don't know. Maybe it's something in the water. But all of a sudden, you know, Seattle looks pretty good. I yeah. think for them to go in there and to play when they're down 0-14 like it doesn't matter, that it could be something in the water. So I, I, I think it's going to be quite a game. Now, what's it come down to? Well, when when certain teams start being real physical, then, you know, it's the matchup. I mean, you, you can just see that Washington had trouble matching up. You know, they have this a, vert, a lateral type of movement, and they're pushing this way, pushing vertical, and you're trying to work lateral when you can't move them because of the size. And so I think that uh, Atlanta should be the favorite, but I I still say it's going to be interesting to see what Seattle can do now that they figured out winning on the road is like winning at home. The other NFC matchup, Green Bay uh, advances. They take care of Minnesota. Joe Webb at quarterback instead of Christian Ponder. It'll be a rematch of one of the early season contests between the Niners and the Packers. Niners got the victory that day with Alex Smith at quarterback, not Colin Kaepernick. What about the rematch? Anything jump out at you in this one? I I was uh, in favor. Who cares what I think? I was in favor of Alex Smith getting his job. I like Kaepernick. I think he's a great athlete. Uh, I like him a lot. But I still am so old-fashioned that says, Coach, what did I do wrong? You know, Alex Smith played, played well. They had a good record. He was leader in, one of the leaders in the league. He got injured. Uh, Kaepernick came in, did a good job. That's what you're supposed to do when you're a backup. And Alex is ready. He's okay, coach. I'm ready. I'm ready to go back in. And all of a sudden, 
the, you know, the Niners said, well, we think we're going to go with this better athlete. Well, Alex's not going to be a if the, if the issue is better athlete, Alex's going to lose that because Kaepernick's a very good athlete. Excellent, big, beautiful athlete, can run all that other stuff. But I thought he's not been looking real sure. He's been looking like a rookie the last couple of times they played. One they won, one they lost. And I'm just not convinced that that he can go match, you know, with a with a veteran guy like like Aaron Rodgers. That, their consistency does not seem to be there after the first big wow. They had some wow factors with Kaepernick now. I mean, wow, he takes off running for a touchdown. Wow, he's got the big deep ball. Wow, he's got the bullet for the first. okay. Now, now that the wild stuff's going, now you've got to be real consistent. And I, I'm not sure that's there. One of the things that we've heard, and, and it's great having you because you can make some sense of it to all of our listeners. I doubt that. Absolutely, you can. <laughs> One of the themes about Alex versus Colin, Alex Smith versus Colin Kaepernick is, you know, Smith is so methodical that those drives are time-consuming. And that defense is so dominant, it gives them an opportunity to rest up and really, when they come back on, pin their ears back and go after right. the opponents. Kaepernick, you mentioned giant deep ball huge runs these drives aren't lasting anywhere near as long and that's made the defense less effective because either it's three and out or it's a big play right. and they're not getting the same amount of rest does that does that make sense so it, it does and 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 where it makes sense is simply you know, like i said it's that wow factor that you know you know guys that are athletic like that they're unpredictable i mean he's liable to throw uh an interception or he's liable to throw a big touchdown. He's liable to make something happen. And, and so what happens is that things happen faster. And I, I, don't, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, Alex Smith um, was – I mean, the system is designed to be methodical. That's what it is. He, he looks more like, like Andrew Luck playing quarterback. You know what I mean? Right. And, and that's what Andrew did for – you know, L, uh, Harbaugh when he was in college, and that's that's what out and they came there, and it was like, hey, you know, I've had a lot of success doing this. That's what that's what uh, Harbaugh had done, and he had the right guy because Alex Smith finally had somebody, and sometimes just that way, finally had somebody who believed in him, finally had somebody that would develop him after all these coordinators and all this other stuff for all these years, and then you know, and and now he's going to have to be ready to save the day, and and I think that. Um, the the challenge for Alex would be to stay positive. The challenge would be if things don't go real well, he's ready to go. Um, I think the challenge for Kaepernick is he looked a little, he looked a little, uh, he didn't he didn't look like this was his fifteenth game like Russell and Andrew Luck and RG three because it wasn't. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. They had some games yeah, where they point. looked like it was their second and third game, and then as it got on, they were gone. He looked, he looked like you know, like what he was, which was a four or five game starter. And when that happens, you're going to have some things not go well. Does it fly in the face of the identity of this Niners team? I mean, you think of Frank Gore and just a rolling ball of butcher knives and right. what he does in every game, and now you have this athlete back there that's running around. Well, I think they're going. I think they realize that we're not going to win throwing the ball too much yeah. with Kaepernick. So I think that way, in, in theory, they're going to try to operate the run and everything. The question is, will the control passing attack work along with it? I mean, Frank Gore is ready to go, who had a week of rest, so he should be very explosive. But the question is, will this fit into, and it should. I mean, I mean, hell, Harbaugh knows what he's doing, and so it should fit in there. But 
uh, I think going up against Green Bay, and Green Bay's had to play the forty or the uh, Vikings twice. You know what I mean? Split it, and uh, except they get to go on. You know, you look at at the Green Bay Packers. They now have their full complement. I assume Jordy Nelson will be fine, even though he limped off the field late in that game. But you have Jennings, you have Nelson, you have Cobb, James Jones. I mean, the list goes on and on. But it seemed like they were determined to get Dewan Harris involved. That, that that was important to them, and it was almost like their run. You mentioned it when they went to Atlanta and got that victory with James Starks. How important is a running game for this Packers team? It's it's really important because that's they. There's no way they think they can win. Uh, on the road in winter without uh, without the running game. You know, I mean, the surface is, you know, at this time of the year, you're allowed to get rain even in California. And I think they feel they're going to need that, that running game. Now, what they want is they want Cobb to make big plays. They want, you know, Jordy to make, to be consistent. They want Jennings to make the exceptional catch. And now we need what? We need the running game, too. If we have all those things going, then, then they think, I think they're confident they can win. They're tackling better. They had to do that. I don't think they could have a better warm-up for Frank Gore than, than getting stomped on by the Vikings and then having to come back and say, okay, we did great. He only got 99 yards. That's better than 200 and sure something, is. but uh, <laughs> that's that's progress. Sure is. When uh, when Coach Billick's beautiful mug is sitting in this chair next week instead of an idiot like me, what uh, two teams do you think you'll be talking about in the NFC Championship? <laughs> well, you know what? I, I think it's, it'd be very difficult not to go with the home team. So I'll, I'll I'll give all the juice to the home team. However, I think that upsets are possible. I think so. It it, it really, you know, should be the 49ers and, and Atlanta in many ways with Atlanta, you know, playing at home. They earned it. They played well. They won when they had to. And uh, having the home game. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. I mean, I think that. Well, as I've said, I think Green Bay against uh, the 49ers has a legitimate chance because that's the way they play. And when they're on their game, they are an impressive team to watch. And I, I just think that uh, Seattle is just acting like they are another wild card team that can go on the road and win. To the AFC, uh, Joe Flacco has played brilliantly at home all season long. He has played atrociously on the road. Uh, I mean, it has really been a dichotomy. When you look at his numbers and what he's been able to do in Baltimore versus what he did on the road, he gets the victory at home, plays very well. Uh, Anquan Bolden certainly helped that cause quite right. a bit. What, what is there? What, what, what is that? You know, why is a, a quarterback – I mean, the disparity is massive, Coach, between what? those two things. You know, I think a lot of times guys aren't, are, aren't hesitant. They, they, are, they are very decisive. And the decisions that they make, and maybe on the road they're a little bit more hesitant, not quite sure. You know what I mean? You know, you have to really be committed to it. And, and at home, I think most guys really are, you know, kind of committed. Matt Ryan's the same way. Yeah. Now, they, they had a good year all the way around, but he's been, you know, up until this year, he's had a phenomenal home record. I mean, now this year he had a phenomenal road and away record. But uh, but he's been incredible at home, and I think that that happens with quarterbacks. And maybe it's even part of the game now. I mean, the game is a little bit different, and so uh, that might be part of it. But I think the confidence uh, to be committed to it, no hesitation, let it fly, uh, I think Flacco clearly has that going for him at home. 
when you look at the Ravens this year. Last year, they're a Lee Evans fingertip away from going to the Super Bowl. Uh, and this year, some people question whether or not they would even make the postseason. You know, maybe it was going to be the Steelers and the Bengals, and they'd be left out. How, how close is this team, you know, with injuries, although not as back, you know, Ray Lewis is back out there with the brace on his arm and the torn tricep. How close is this team to that one we saw just 30 seconds away from a Super Bowl appearance last year? Well, I think they have to figure out, you know, exactly how they want to play this game you know, against uh, against Denver. Uh, you know, in in a lot of ways, uh, it's a team that they can run it. And, and people have said, hey, you know, Flacco uh, is – we're doing too much with Flacco. We need to run the ball more. And I, I don't know why they got rid of Cam Cameron, but if that, I guess you could make a case for that and say that they weren't getting the ball to Rice enough. And so uh, that's an advantage for them, uh, I think, to try to get themselves in that kind of position and say, hey, you know, can we uh, can we do that? Now – you know, Peyton's got a tremendous record <laughs> against those yeah. guys. Uh, I think he's won like maybe nine in a row or something. I mean, he's won a lot of games against That's them. Exactly right. You know, the the way to to beat uh, Peyton is you have to be able to play a little bit more cover two, and then uh, stop the run with the six guys in the box. So that's where where the front can come into play. That's where, you know, and if they can do that. Because you can you can take off from Peyton throwing forty five fifty times to throwing more in the first half than he wants to, and then at the end of the game he has to throw more to catch up. You know, you see what I'm saying. In yep. other words, he he will run it more if if you give him too deep, and then you've got to be able to stop the run. You can force him to have to want to pass more simply because he's lost comps in the run game, and then you and then you can intercept balls, and that's when the teams who beat him. That's how they beat him. They they take away the run, and then he gets impatient with the throws. Remember, the Chargers beat him a bunch of times yeah. in a row, and that's that's what they did. They were able to, uh, with Wade Phillips as a coordinator, Wade was able to just be determined to stop the run with six and defend the pass with the five with the two deep, and, and uh, he had a lot of success like that. I'm going to get to Houston in a second, but I, you just mentioned his name, so i got to ask you. It seems like anybody I ever ask this question seems to agree. Is Wade Phillips just the best in-game defensive coordinator out there making those adjustments and confusing teams? Well, I think he's been one of, one of the best. I mean, you know, they, they, are, they aren't doing as well lately. Right. I mean, I, I think the way they started the year, it was good, and I, I think that you know, coming off of uh, last year and how they've done, it all looked, you know, like it was working that way. But it, it doesn't look quite the same right now. I'm not sure exactly why. Uh, maybe he can't play as much, too. I don't, he doesn't seem to be as – and I don't maybe the stats say he is playing more too deep. But um, it doesn't appear that they're paying as much of of the too deep as, uh, as he has in the past and adjusting off of it. It just seems – you know, and, and if you can speak to this, just the difference between being a dominant coordinator and then having to be a head coach and, and run the whole show. Because wherever Wade has gone as a defensive coordinator, he has dominated right. the competition. Every stop he's had as a head coach, right. he's failed to live up to those expectations. Well, I think what happens, that's because the head coach has to coach the whole team and the coordinator gets to focus on his group. Um, I think that the mistake that – that guys make, and it doesn't matter whether you're a defensive coordinator becoming a head coach or an offensive coordinator becoming a head coach, there are very few guys that are able to have their imprint on that defense and then uh, have the whole team be successful, you know, because you're spending so much time on that particular on that particular area. 
Right. And so I, I just think it's, I think it's just difficult. You know, you have to be able to identify with the whole team. Um, the players by nature, if you're spending more time with the other guy, just like your family would with your kids, if you're spending more, the kids are spending more time with mom, then they're kind of ticked off at dad and, and <laughs> vice versa. And if you're spending all your time with the defense guys and offense, feel like, well, hey, he doesn't really care about us. You know, I mean, he just cares about his boys or especially then, you know, uh, guys that do well. He doesn't even hardly know who we are. And so that that kind of becomes kind of a and it always does. And you see it more often than not with the offensive guys, right. you know, who, who they'll tell you almost they don't know what's going on with the defense. Well, you know, uh, if it's going well, it's good. If it isn't going well. It's not good because defensive guys will take over your team, man. That's just the way it is. I know it's dating my I'm dating myself here, but I mean, you know, you think of of '86 and the Bears, and in both Buddy Ryan and Ditka getting carried off on the shoulders of their respective <laughs> right. groups and, and paying homage to their guy. And uh, that's happened. Rarely has that happened. It worked. It worked for them because they had so many players at one time they had just so many things come together you right. know with Walter Payton at the end of his career Mike Singletary was incredible in his game McMichaels I mean so you had these guys on both offense and defense that had great you know leadership capabilities and so it worked but it doesn't work very often no. uh, to that to that Texans game and, and as you said it had been going so well they lost two inside backers they lost their safety I mean that that defense is certainly a lot thinner than it was at the start of the year when they were dominating um, I want to say their time of possession was something like seventy or seventy five percent to twenty five percent in the first half, and they led nine seven. Right. I mean, what a disappointing outcome for a dominating half of football. Well, what do you say to the team when you're in the locker room and you're looking at the scoreboard and you yeah. see nine seven? Well, you know, a lot of times you can't shake that opponent, and you got to give them some respect too. Just say, hey, you know, these are the things that we did well, guys. We should have done a little bit more. We were in position to do more. We didn't get it done, but we're going to. Give them some credit also, and and let's shake them because part of the other team's strength is that hey, they're saying the opposite. They're saying hey guys, they did this, they did this, but they can't shake us. You know what I mean? They're going to get impatient and they're going to make some mistakes. You know because they're they're worrying more about shaking us and winning the game. You look at at that sideline, the Cincinnati sideline. It took until late third quarter for AJ Green to make his first reception. Is that credit the Texans' defense, or is that a knock on Cincinnati's offense? And Jay Gruden, how can you not get the most dynamic playmaker on that field involved earlier? Well, I think it, it goes back to we were just talking about giving giving uh, uh, Wade Phillips so much credit. I think that's there's a lot where the credit goes. I mean, they they have been able to get the ball to Green. I mean, he's a phenomenal big play guy. But I mean, if the, the more they stand two, the more difficult it is to get the ball. When you look at that Texans offense, and it's a similar running scheme that they had in Denver, Gary Kubiak, of course, there with Mike Shanahan, and it seemed to be plug-and-play with the running backs. Arian Foster's right. undrafted. He then puts together uh, a nice string of seasons here. Is is it the system, or is Arian Foster that good of a running back? I think Foster is, is, is that good uh, simply because of his balance, his strength, uh, his cutting ability, uh, his character. Uh, you know, I mean, I think he's phenomenal. It is a good system. It's the same system, and that's what we saw when when Morris was running mm -hmm. the ball so well for Washington. That's the exact same way. It's a lateral, uh, you know, with quickness up front, and so uh, it it is uh, it is impressive. It can be frustrating sometimes, though, if you can't control the line of scrimmage. Can it uh, work against the Patriots? You know what? Uh, there's a lot of size. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. And so, you know, the, the the issue is, can you can you stop them enough 
to force them to have to uh, come out of their out of their thing. And so I, I think they it on paper it's a good matchup. I mean, now you know it didn't look that way, but it, it on paper it's a good matchup, and I expected it to to be a better game than what it was. So uh, yeah, it can be. You know, there's there's not a lot of speed on the defense with uh, New England. There is a lot of size, but I think that they can make those guys get their hands down. So um, I think if Foster is feeling good, they had a had a uh, little bit of a uh, issue, not not necessarily, but I mean, he just seemed a little little. I don't know what you say. He didn't seem as sharp, maybe. Right. You know, um, and I I think it's, they're going to need him though. So hopefully he can recoup. You mentioned before the um, they got thumped. I mean, the Pats really thumped them something good in the regular season. How hard is it to put that out of your guys' minds going into a postseason matchup when it's that lopsided? Well, that's when you say, who were those guys? That wasn't us. And you say, no, it wasn't. I mean, you, you, and, and there's two ways to look at One way, you can say, burn that film. We don't want to see it again. That's one way to look at it. Another way is to, is to look at it so you can see that, hey, if we don't do this, this is what happens. If we don't, so you, you show – what they are and show what you became in that particular game and that normally could will get guys riled up a little risky though you know but but i think there's two ways to do it you know and it it depends on how bad it was it was pretty bad it was (laughs) Uh, i think that uh, you know what new england's still the big mystery i mean i mean it's like you know i don't know i mean i i don't see it i don't i'm just surprised that they are that dominant as they have been, I was surprised that they were able to go and dominate in that game because I expected, you know, Houston to play better, and uh, and so I, I it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting. What do you make of of the way they've run that offense this year? You talked about it earlier. They are without question the fastest paced offense in the league this year, running seventy five plays per game. I mean, that is five better than the Lions, and I think eight better than they were last year. Right. You and, mean and, New and England? Just, just yeah, how they've yeah. changed once well, again. Well, yeah, I think that you know he's always going to be able to morph his team into what it's become, and so now it's 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 uh, you know to the slot again, uh, get up and get it down. What they want to do is put pressure on the uh, on the signal caller, pressure on the signal caller to uh, match up. Uh, we'll get guys in faster than you. You substitute. Are we really going to sub? Or are we not? Are we going to use the same personnel? We put the tight ends on the outside, even though we got two tight ends. That doesn't mean that we're going to be in a base look. We got base personnel, but a spread look. We got spread personnel lined up in the base look. And, you know, they puts a lot of pressure on, and, and then they go. You know what I mean? And so I think it puts pressure on making the call. It puts pressure on the players responding and getting lined up. And I think it puts pressure on them also, you know, the physical part. You talked about it with Peyton Manning, and if he falls behind, and, and you can take him out of his game plan. No, Sean Moreno's been great for them late in the season. Willis McGahee was great for them early. When you have a Hall of Fame quarterback like Peyton Manning, or in this case, Tom Brady, and you see Stephen Ridley back there, and he's had a heck of a season, how hard is it to try to get, I don't know, a balance or at least feed that running game enough when you've got those guys throwing the ball? Well, I think what what, uh, what New England will will do and has been so good at is that when you go to extremes to stop the passes, when they'll really hurt you with the run. And that the key is, is the habit. It's like if I took this hammer out and put it up on the table here, and you'd say, what are you going to do with that hammer, Coach? i say, I don't know. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> <But> it's there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. And meanwhile, you start playing and look back and say, now what are you going to do with Ridley? I, I don't know. You know, and so then it's like, hey, look, you know, they're killing us to pass. Now we got to do this. We got to do this. We got to do all these things to stop the pass. 
then that's when they hurt you with the run. How unique a weapon is Rob Gronkowski? You know, uh, as this new age athlete, the guy with this kind of size and and athletic ability, um, you know, matching up against linebackers, there are none that can that can go up against him. I mean, you look at the you know linebackers of our era have, you know, have been Ray Lewis and you know and and um, you know guys like that, Erlacher, Erlacher, and you know, and, and those guys aren't nearly. That big, you know. What I mean, to go up against a guy that has that kind of size and speed and that can bounce off, and and then the re, with the restrictions that are put on you playing defense. I mean, he's a great, big, strong athlete that can make a lot of plays, and so they can put him in the same position, you know, as they can Wes Welker. So who are you going to guard? You want to guard Welker? Or you want to guard him? Are you going to use the same guy to guard both of them? Right. Because they're going to do the same thing when they spread out and, and or, or motion into the slot and so forth. If you're devising your game plan defensively, is that the number one thing you need to take away? Is Gronk what what scares you the most? Well, I think so. And then you got to take away the inside with with Welker to a certain extent too. I mean, because he's the one that fr- Gronk scares you the most. Welker's the one that frustrates you the most, right? Because you think that we've got guys that we should be able to man up with him, but he's so shifty and stop, start, take off, fake in, go back out, pivot, slide, all those other things that he's able to get those four to eight yards. Uh, same question as I asked about the NFC. AFC championship game, you talked about the home teams. Right. Did, could, do you see the same sort of momentum in either of these road teams? Well, I think, I think the, 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 uh, the quarterbacks. Yeah. I mean, you can't – I mean, Peyton is playing so well that I don't think, I don't think you can dispute that. And, and uh, Tom Brady's playing so well. So I think that, you know, those, those two guys, where they have clear-cut um, influence on their teams – you know, then uh, I think those are the teams that are going to win. And it's destined to be, right? The network's (laughs) demanded. We've got to get Brady v. Manning. It's the only way. Um, Just coaching moves. Obviously, we had Black Monday uh, last week, and now some of those positions becoming filled. I mentioned Doug Marone gets the gig in Buffalo, but the first one that was filled was Andy Reid. And it seemed like Kansas City was determined to get a deal done before he was able to leave and go to Arizona or go well, to San Diego. They did it the old-fashioned way, which is if you want a player, they treat him like a recruit. Yeah. Show him a lot of love. Send a private jet for him. <laughs> Show him a lot of love. Tell him how much you love him. And don't let him take no for an answer. He says no, then raise the price. He says no, then give him more power and authority. He says no, then uh, offer whatever you got to offer him until he says yes, and that's what they did. Were you surprised that he decided to go with Kansas City? I was surprised that he that he moved so fast. You know, I, I you know, it's he had a tough year um, and just a brutal year, and and so I wasn't totally sure he wasn't going to do with what the uh, Fisher did, which is take a year off. I mean, yeah. at the end, it was tough on Fisher at Tennessee, and and that year off was a year well spent, and I wasn't sure that Andy wasn't going to, you know, take a year off, but. Uh, you know, but Kansas City, they've got a running attack, okay? His number one responsibility will be to develop a quarterback and then, you know, a quarterback first and one that can execute the system that uh, that they've got in place. Uh, and um, so I think it's clear what he has to do. Is it uh you said they have a running attack. Eagles fans have pulled their hair out <laughs> since Shady McCoy showed up or Brian Westbrook. They'll tell you 20 carries or more, and they're like a 990 win percentage, but Andy refused to give him the ball. Is this a good fit? Andy Reid, Jamal Charles, the cold weather of Kansas City. That, does, it, does it make sense to you? 
You know what? I I think that uh, in that they need to develop the you know the quarterback. It does. Um, it's hard to say why they felt you know that they, Andy was the only one. That's the guy we want. Um, you know, and so they they were committed to it and and all out committed to it. Um, I'm beating around the bush here. You know, I, <laughs> I got you. That's fine. I'll, I don't know. <laughs> I'll give you a pass. I'll give you a pass. I, the answer would be I don't know. I mean, I was I was surprised. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, <laughs> so I I think now they they roll the uh, the jobs that are still available: San Diego, Arizona, Chicago, Cleveland, Philadelphia. Does one jump out at you as being better? Than the others, uh, a more ideal situation to walk into. Well, you into. know, there, there's been uh, the the newspapers have been very aggressive. There's newspapers, one newspaper in San Diego. Uh, there used to be two, but the the big one bought the other the one. The old San Diego <laughs> Union <laughs> and the San Diego Union, they want John Gruden. Yeah, they really do. They've come out. They've they ten points on why we want Gruden. Uh, I think there are a couple reasons. One, he's got a Super Bowl in his pocket. Okay, number two. Uh, he's a good quarterback coach. They've got a good quarterback three. He's been a good offense. We've had a good offense. Number four, I say we. I'm, I'm the hometown man. Yep. I, I, I love the Chargers. And um, and I think that they feel that uh, that he'll help them with the crowd, too. The crowds have been down. Some of the games have been blacked out. They don't have a stadium. They're looking for a guy to come in as a savior. They want a big-name big coach. Surprisingly, there hasn't – I thought the league this year would move – back and get some of the older guys. I really felt, you know, that, uh, I mean, Cowher's got a great job, but he's still, you know, less than 55. He probably still should be coaching. Uh, Gruden should be coaching. They got great jobs in, in the media, but but uh, the competition, all that, the, I, I really thought that teams would go after those guys. Now, that's part of it. If you're going to get Gruden, if you're going to get um, Cowher, if you're going to get the guy that sits in the chair, we were at Brian Billick, who also has a Super Bowl in his pocket, and that one time's considered, you know, an incredible offensive coordinator. Had done some great things as a coordinator, both when he was with us at Minnesota mm-hmm. and and the job he did at Baltimore. I mean, I thought that the league would go after those three guys, you know, with that many job opens. But it looks like they're doing more of the same. And I think the only, the really only issue is if you get, um, you know, some of the guys just don't have as much coaching experience. In other words, you, you know. Uh, Head coaching experience, whether it be in the college, whether it be in the pros, whether it be uh, coordinator, you know, seasoning, uh, whether it be mentoring, you know what I mean? I mean, there's all these different things that help, you know, make up a, a coach who's ready to be a head coach. And I think the league is somewhat impatient with coaches, in my opinion, because they wind up getting too many guys that don't have a lot of that experience. So, you know, the guys don't know weren't necessarily mentored into the job. They get a job. They make a few moves. The owner doesn't like the moves. They're out already. It's like, wait a minute. If you're going to hire a guy this young, this not saying inexperienced, but with, without this kind of experience in that position, give the guy time to, you know, to get the job done. And I, I think that uh, – so it's going to be interesting. The one name that surprises me, uh, you know, I, I look at the Bears – and I see the most dominant defense in football since Lovey Smith arrived. And that's where he had his talent. Right. The offensive side, you finally get a number one receiver. You've never had a good offensive line. And that's where they've struggled. Right. That looks like a personnel problem to right. me, not a coaching problem. <laughs> when right. he's got the talent, that side of the ball is dominant. Sure. They don't have the talent. 
why has Lovey Smith not been mentioned, uh, connected with? Am I missing something here? I, that's one I can't figure out. Well, I think that I mean at one point it looked like Buffalo wanted him. Yep. Uh, Cleveland has talked about him. Uh, Philadelphia really should should want him. And the reality is the Bears should have kept him. Right. You know what I mean? You're right. right. It was it was about it was about personnel. It's like let's make up our mind that the offensive line is a priority and let's do whatever we have to do to improve this offensive line and we're gonna be a better football team. And that's that's something that they that they didn't do. Last thing for you, Coach. Um just continuing what we started with, and that's the college coaches. Chip Kelly opts to go back. We're going to have the national championship tonight. Some people speculating that Brian Kelly, Nick Saban are, are going to get those offers. How how hard is that jump? And how you just talked about you were you were surprised that more of the old guys weren't right. weren't called upon. Why is there this infatuation with the college coach? Is, is, it, is it attributed to Jim Harbaugh and Pete Carroll and the fact that some of these guys that came from college are doing better? What, what, what's well, going I, on there? I, you know, I think that uh, it's always been there to a certain extent. They, they come with a lot of fans, um, you know, a lot of a lot of interests. Uh, as we know, uh, Saban was in the pros and got a head yeah. job. It didn't work out, went back to the college. And whether or not he would try to jump back in or not, you know, who knows. Um, and so uh, I, I just think that uh, there's a lot of attention. The game is totally different. Uh, you know, this game tonight is power football. Now, this this yeah. is not this. This is not seven on seven t- tonight. This is not what we've been seeing with, you know, with, with some of the teams. This is good old-fashioned Notre Dame, which plays – extremely physical defense and runs the ball, probably throw the ball maybe 20, 25 times, if that, against Alabama, who also is not known for its passing attack, uh, plays very good defense and runs the ball. So this is going to be an old-fashioned slugfest. I don't know if any one of those guys uh, are are going to be interested. I don't know if either one of them would actually go, um, you know, because um, – but there there is some type of a – there's a drag. There's, it's not it's, – there's not a lot going on. And uh, I don't think the league is going to have enough front-line candidates, I think, if they don't go get Brian Billick or if they don't go get John Gruden. You know, I I don't think so. Uh, Who wins tonight? National championship. (laughs) Come on. You brought it (laughs) up. You 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 scouted the game for us. Now we need a a pick. You know what? Uh, Alabama, despite even playing in, in in the southeast, they had it pretty good. I mean, they rolled over people uh, very well. Notre Dame has been gutty. I mean, I, I, they were eleven and zero. They could have yeah, maybe twelve and zero. In fact, they could have easily have been nine and three because they had to fight for everything they've got. So. Um, I rarely have a chance to pick Notre Dame <laughs> over the years, but uh, I, I think they got a shot. All right. Well, there we go. Uh, that is going to do it for the Coaches Show podcast. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Again, uh, my apologies to the listeners that were expecting the genius of Brian Billick, but instead got me at least uh, Coach Green carried us through it. Uh, a reminder, you can download the Coaches Show podcast from iTunes or go to NFL.com slash podcast. Be sure to catch the Coaches Show on NFL Network every Monday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Thanks for listening, everybody. And, Coach, thanks again. I really enjoyed it. You bet.